Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Again, onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepasswordcom slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter uplift desk a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work and that's just the beginning of what uplift desk has to offer with an emphasis on ergonomics and customization uplift desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals whether you're coding designing or podcasting like i am right now the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's up 
liftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Can we take some of the lessons we're learning here in this structured team environment and can we apply those lessons to our everyday work? I'd like to welcome John Zaratsky to the Productivities Podcast. John, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I'm holding in my hands, make time, how to focus on what matters every day. And I need to ask out of the gate, because you wrote this with Jake Knapp, and you guys have this, uh, I want to talk about time dorks first, right? Sure. And what yeah. led number one to the formation of this, this partnership? Because this, this is not the first book you've written together, number, number one, right? Correct, yeah. And, and number two, um, that partnership is continuing, right? Like, you I mean, this is something that you guys are passionate about so much so that you call yourself dorks about it. So what, <laughs> what, what led to the formation of this partnership and, and why, why the fascination with time? Yeah, well, Jake and I both individually became kind of obsessed with productivity, you know, in sort of the, the you know, what I think of as, as, the golden era of early 2000s productivity optimization with getting things done and Merlin Mann writing 43 folders and the, the proliferation of all sorts of slick new to-do list apps and project management tools. And we were both individually working at, um, at some tech companies and, and we ended up both working at Google. But, um, but for, for my part, you know, I was sort of just motivated by a general sense a general you know desire to be good at my job i remember when i graduated from college and started my first job and there was of course all the things i needed to figure out how to do in in my work and i was a designer at a tech startup um but then there was also this this new challenge of like how do i manage my time you know how do i i'm not in school anymore i'm not you know i don't have uh, professors setting deadlines and assigning homework and taking me through a five part structure of how to write a paper Instead, I've got bosses who are like, hey, we hired you to like design this website, so go do it. Um, and so I had to figure out not just the technical domain-specific stuff, but I had to figure out how to manage my time. And so, you know, in wanting to just make the most of that opportunity, I got really into optimizing and tweaking my productivity and my efficiency. Um, and the company I was working for, we were acquired by Google after a couple of years. And so this was in 2007, I found myself working at Google and I was still a designer, but I kind of had this out of body experience where I was looking at myself from the outside and, and seeing my time go more and more toward meetings and email and bureaucracy and stuff like that instead of the you know the work of being a designer you know the work of, mm -hmm. of creating new products and services and things like that um, and so I tried to kind of optimize my way out of that but I I found that the the faster I ran um, the faster the the treadmill moved or the faster the hamster wheel spawn or you know choose your 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 metaphor of choice um, but I realized that I had just gotten really, really good at reacting to what other people were asking of me, requesting of me, um, and that I didn't always have time for the work that was 
kind of at the core of my job and of why I did what I did, not to mention the things that I wanted to be spending time on outside of work. Um, and so I didn't really have a great solution for this. Um, until a few years later, when, when Jake and I met, we both worked at Google Ventures, and we were in this position there where um, we would, the firm would invest in a, a startup. So, so Google Ventures is a venture capital firm funded by Google. So we would invest in a startup, and then Jake and I would go inside that company and work with them like consultants. And we realized that we had this very unique opportunity, this almost laboratory to jump from company to company, team to team, and think about how they spend their time. You know, suddenly it wasn't just about us and, and, and the work that we wanted to get done. It was about trying to empower and help all these other people spend their time in smart and effective ways. And as a result of that experience, we came up with something called the design sprint process. And that's what we ended up writing our, our first book about. But um, we, we were so I was inspired and excited by the work that we were doing with all those companies and the, these design sprint processes and watching it spread to companies around the world um, that we kind of started to wonder, hey, could we, uh, could we take some of the lessons we're learning here in this structured team environment and could, can we apply those lessons to our everyday work? You know, could we apply this to the the stuff that happens in between those design sprints, the sort of every day, you know, the day in, day out, I'm just in the office doing my thing, doing what I've got to do. Could there be kind of a system or a framework for that that was less about efficiency and productivity and just sort of a pure like output sense and more about really focusing and really structuring time around the things that truly mattered. And so that is where Time Dorks came from and that's where um, Make Time ultimately came from. So I was in that forefront of the productivity movement. You mentioned Merlin Mann, of course, Merlin 43 folders. I'll link it in the show notes. Most people consider him to be the internet godfather of modern yeah. productivity. Yep. Um, and then we saw the advent of productivity porn, for lack of a better term, right? Like so much stuff out Absolutely. there telling how to be yeah. more productive. And what I like about this, about make time is that, um, number one, I think, and I want to, I want to, I'll circle back to this in a minute, but there's a framework involved, um, which we'll discuss as we go through our, our conversation, but you've distilled it down knowing full well that as through your own journey, I would imagine, um, that you can't do it all at once. Like you've got bite-sized chunks of like, here's, here's, here's a tactic. Here's something you can try. How important was it for you when you were putting this book together to say, okay, we need to make this doable so that people could see the incremental uh, ability to make time as opposed to this wholesale and, and we'll and like I said we'll circle back to like the productivity movement where like getting things done would be a massive undertaking for mm -hmm. a lot of people whereas this like as I was going through the book uh, as someone who studied productivity for you know the past decade I'm like yep that yep this is something someone yep this is some someone could pick it up and do it today how important was that to you putting this book together I don't remember a version of the book that wasn't like that you know, that would, that mm -hmm. was like, that was essential from the, the very beginning of when Jake and I started talking about it. And that came from that desire to make it sort of bite size and customizable. That came from two different perspectives that we had. One was our perspective as, as time dorks, as productivity nerds who had, who had read tons of books and tons of blogs and tried tons of systems. And this realization that, one size fits all systems 
tend to be brittle in the sense that you, you know, there's this big buildup to getting everything set up and making it perfect. And then there's kind of this fear that if it, if you fall off the wagon, you know, if it sort of it falls apart, then suddenly it's, it's not working anymore. And there's this sense of, of you know, perfection and this worry about failure. And so we felt that, you know, one of the, the reasons that we had turned away from a lot of the, the more monolithic systems was that, um, we just felt like there, that all of the stuff did not work for, for any of us, right. that we needed to find ways to adapt and to personalize and to, to pick and choose the parts that work. So that was, the, that was one perspective. And then the other perspective that led to this approach was that we are both designers and we worked for many years as, um, you know, we're still, we still consider ourselves designers and a lot of what we do now is designing marketing and presentations and, and various resources and training tools and things like that. But, but in those days we were literally designing apps and websites and, and marketing every day. Um, and so we had just sort of gotten used to coming at things from a customer perspective, you know, from a human perspective of like, all right, imagine I'm a person who, who, ha who's interested in spending their time on the things that matter. And maybe I've experimented with some of these tools and systems in the past, but found them ultimately unsustainable or like they didn't just, they, they didn't fit my sort of view that I have about life and about how I want to spend my time, what would that person need? And so we, we basically designed this system, this framework, um, which then became the book. We designed it in a way that we felt would be really easy for somebody who was in that position to, as you said, flip through it and say, oh yeah, that's something I can do now. Um, and then build in sort of those feedback loops of, yeah, I'm, I tried it and and it helped like my day was actually a little bit better. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to that. I'm going to take note of that. And I'm going to try to tweak it so that the next day is a little bit better than that. And then the day after that is a little bit better. Um, and you know, just like a, a designer would do when they're designing a, a product, an app, whatever, um, make it really easy to get started, make the value to start very clear, but then also make sure that that value, um, grows over time, which some of the monolithic systems would allow, but they're not presented that way. Like, yeah. like getting things done. And I've, I've had David on the show before and I've known David for years. Uh, and I, the getting things done system has a ton of value, but the yep. way that a lot of it is presented and I'm not saying David presents it this way. I'm saying that again, and we talked, we're going to talk about like the infinity pools and, and again, the productivity blogs, especially back in the day more so. And it's still, I think there's this cult following of GTDers that they, push it so hard and they offer the 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 fine tunings that they put in place because they practice this for you there's no context around that for a lot of people that are adopting it they go whoa 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 right. whoa, whoa, whoa whoa it's too big too big when yep. realistically if you were to break it down you could add things incrementally like Absolutely. you said yeah. but but it's and again i mean when you're working with a team like you did with, with when you're doing design sprints you're working with a team you need it to be nimble you need it to be you need to be able to have it so that someone can look at the the larger view of the framework, which we'll go over. You know, the idea of you know highlight, laser, reflect, energize that that frame the the circling back with the energizing that people can work within that because there's a personalization component to it. It's easier yeah. to gravitate towards. Actually, that's not easier. It's simpler. 
I would say, because yeah. easy, easy is <laughs> if you've been used to doing things a certain way. And we talked about this before we jumped on the program about talking about some of the stuff that's going on, you know, current events we talked about, as well as, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of um, myopic views and biases and things like that. I think that that when you have a framework that can house these, you know, these these tips, which I'm and I'm going to focus as we go through the conversation on a couple of them, because sure. there's a lot to go through. And again, even saying it that way, like, oh, Mike, this seems like a lot. It's 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 about making small, <laughs> distinct changes, like you said, that you can build upon because you get the confidence that, well, this worked. So I wonder if this will work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. I, and again, as design thinkers, clearly you did this by design. Yeah. And I like how you mentioned that distinction between simple and easy. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in life that are, that are simple, but not easy. You know, you want to lose weight. Well, that's easy. You want to, you want to save for retirement. Well, that's easy too. You want to make good use of your time. That's also easy. Um, or sorry, it's simple. It's not necessarily easy. I just right, said it the wrong so, way. But it's so, it, the distinction is so, most people get those confused and it's, it's, yeah. it's harder to, um, it's easy. It's easier to say easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And one of the philosophies in make time is that we want people to, to not just, to not rely on willpower, to not say, you know what, today I'm going to be focused today. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to clench my fists and I'm going to white knuckle it and I'm going to buckle down and do it. Instead, we want people to actually kind of redesign their environments. So literally change the configuration of their phones and their laptops and uninstall things and block things and reconfigure things and even move stuff around in their homes so that the the decision that you want to make the sort of the right choice in that moment actually becomes the easy one right so so you're you're giving in to easy but you've you've configured stuff in a way you've sort of outsourced your your discipline you've outsourced willpower right. to the environment so that when you're actually in that moment of oh i could grab my phone and check twitter or i could keep working on this thing that i i know really deep down this is what i want to be doing you're going to go with the easy choice because you know Twitter isn't on your phone, or you're going to have to go through a two-factor auth to sign into Twitter, or you're going to have to grab your password out of your password manager and log in, or whatever, um, or because your phone's not in front of you, because it's put away in a cabinet somewhere. But but this idea of actually um, making the right things the easy things um, that is a really really important philosophy that's that's baked into make time, but I think applies to a lot of other areas of life as well. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating. Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food. It's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? It's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, 
Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a productive conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, I'm going to take a break from my conversation with John now to talk about our sponsors for this episode. And I'd like to start off with talking about LinkedIn Jobs. Small businesses have unique needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. And that's really important when you're trying to hire. You want to make this as painless as possible, and you want to be efficient and productive all the while. LinkedIn Jobs allows you to do that. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for and puts your job post in front of qualified members every day so that it's seen by people looking for jobs like yours. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. Now, when your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. All you need to do is just visit linkedin.com slash timecrafting. Again, that's linkedin.com slash timecrafting to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. When I had Cal on the Cal Newport on the show, we talked about digital minimalism, like some of the things that I've done. And I, I talked like the idea of I use the extensions on my phone to share things on Facebook and not go into Facebook. Like Facebook's mm. installed, but it's buried in a folder that sure. if I want to share a story, like for example, when I share this podcast episode, I would have used the extension on Facebook and not gone into Facebook because the first thing I see is the thing that Facebook wants me to see. Right. And yeah, actually absolutely. it's not even what Facebook wants me to see. It's what I've told Facebook that I, right. <laughs> that I want to see. Yes. But, but, but Facebook has learned that yes. you are most likely to engage with. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that another example would be the rise of using your phone as an alarm clock, right? It's can, it's, it's built in that way. But, yeah. um, and so there's there's alarms. And when that didn't work, and, and this is no, uh, you know, some people are like, oh, well, I don't want to use my phone alarm because 
I know that I'm going to pick up my phone. But then all of a sudden, like I started using Sleep Cycle, which is uh, sure. designed yep. to help wake you up in a more natural way. I'm like, well, then see, this does make sense for the phone to be used. And and again, I think the people who built Sleep Cycle didn't go, I know we're going to get them to keep using their phone. That wasn't the, that wasn't the nefarious right. plot. It was like, hey, we can use this technology in a way that can help people wake up more naturally. And we're going to talk about yeah. the morning and night person stuff that comes up in this book as well. Let's put this, we won't talk about it. I'm just going to say, you, when you read the book, uh, you, you'll have to figure out whether John is a morning person or a night person. I'm not going to, we're not going to lean into it. Let's just say that if you've listened <laughs> to this episode before, John and I are on, on the other side. I'm, I'm more with Jake on this. Let's put it that way. Okay. So, uh, so the yep. other, so the other thing is, is that, so then it's, it's like, okay, I use sleep cycle, but I don't want my phone in there because the propensity for me to grab my phone first thing in the morning is, is strong. Near EL yeah. talks about this in Indistractable too, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I bought one of those Philips wake up, you know, alarm clocks that has the sure. natural sunlight thing. Cause I'm a heavy yeah. sleeper and I'm like, that's the, that's, that's the end of it. Like that is where, and now my phone stays out in the front room and it charges overnight. So now, now not only, and, and I think you have to reframe it too, is what do you want to get out of it? Do I, yeah. what I didn't like was I didn't like when I woke up first thing in the morning that my phone was in front of me and I saw things I didn't want to see necessarily right away. Cause some notifications are needing to be left active. Number yep. two, my battery life was low because sure. I wasn't charging my phone. And, and, and number three, I wasn't getting off to the right start of my day. I didn't do my morning routine because it was being circumvented by that. So how do I fix all that? I buy a $30 alarm clock off yeah. of Amazon. And, and again, um, I had to break through a whole bunch of different, different things <laughs> to get there, but that's right. what it is. That's what, I mean, the, the, the whole path of productivity. And, and again, I think what's interesting is that you talk about make time and the reason, and I, I wonder I look at this and I go, the reason it's it's make time is because time is measurable. Time is quantitative. People can wrap their heads around it. And productivity can mean something completely different to another person versus time. Yeah. Time is yeah. very, and you talk about attention and stuff too. Um, but everyone's decision, I just walked you through my decision-making process as to why I now have a new alarm clock where some yeah. people could go, well, that was an easy, I would have, who cares? I don't, I, I can use my phone. I don't, like you guys had the, the phone experiment that you talked about at the very beginning where yep. it's like, there, that's your solution, right? So it can be how you get there is 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 a is a study and a story on your totally. relationship with this stuff altogether, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of different approaches to this. You know, there's there's a lot of advice out there. There's a lot of books that say just do it this way. Right. You know, like trust <laughs> me, I tried all the things, or 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 it works for these scientific theoretical reasons, and just do it this way. And you know, sure, some people are gonna read that book and they're gonna be like, yeah. Totally. I trust this person. I'm going to do it. Um, other people are like you, or they're like me or Jake. And, and we're going to say, hmm, we're going to we're going to approach it as designers. We're going to say, hmm, I've got this issue. You know, I've, I've got this goal. And, you know, me as the sort of the the actor in this in this scenario, I'm having trouble reaching that goal. So how can I design this environment or this process or whatever to get me to that goal? Um, and then I think there's there's other people who, you know, they want to um, they want to experiment with this stuff and they're interested in it, but maybe they don't have the same level of awareness about the extent to which these things can be sort of hacked and tweaked and customized. Right. And that I think is one of the unique things that we bring to this conversation is that since Jake and I worked in the tech industry and since you know, we both consider ourselves to be enthusiastic and optimistic about technology, you know, I, I think unlike Cal Newport, you know, we're not going to say 
you should use less technology. Right. You know, that is, that is clear. You know, he, I don't know if those are the exact words, but there is a very clear message that his thesis is you should use this stuff less. Right. And, um, and from his vantage point as a professor who, and I mean, we've had a chance to hang out before he's never adopted it. So for him, it's never yeah. been something he's had to distance himself from to the degree that most people are facing, which is technology. They're digital, they're digital natives. They were born yeah, into it. Right. Right. So, and I mean, one of the things that Jake and I understand so well, having worked as designers in the tech industry, is how powerful defaults are. And the ways that thing are, things are configured by default, you know, even as something as simple as you get a new phone, you take it out of the box, you turn it on, and one of the very first things you do is you sign into your email account. Mm -hmm. And then by default, of course, your phone's got an email app installed. By default, it's checking for messages in the background. By default, it's showing you notification. And it, that type of thing exists times a million across right. all the different devices you use, across all the norms of how your workplace operates, of your daily habits, whatever. And and so I think if you can start to step back and say, oh, like when I use my phone as an alarm clock, it means that that default notification that's going to be there on the screen means that I'm more likely to pick up my phone. Oh, that's interesting. So now what can I do about that? Well, I can move the phone or I can disable that notification or I can uninstall that app. And you just, you start to have this new way of looking at the world yep. around you. Yep. Um, and I, and I think, um, you know, another, another component that we, that is, is a big part of this is understanding friction and from the, the world of, of habit research, you know, the, there's a, a big conclusion, which is that one of the best ways to break a bad habit is to add friction, to actually make it more difficult to do the thing you don't want to do. And that for, that's very much a, a part of this approach as well is make it more difficult to grab the phone, to check, you know, whatever is going on there, to see those notifications be interrupted in the first place. So, so yeah, I think it's, um, we've, we've just tried to give people a bit of context and perspective around how these things are set up by default and then what the options are for starting to redesign those defaults. Well, and the other thing is too, is that it also puts you in a position where if something was to change, you go as, uh, like, so for example, the notification factor, if you install a new app and you forget to turn off notifications or mm -hmm. you just hit okay, because like, oh yeah, 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 okay, okay. And I, I've said, okay, I've turned off all notifications or everything else, but, and I had my phone on my nightstand, except for that one app that does notify me in the middle, you know, first thing yeah. in the morning, it, it, it just, it removes, it removes any of the possible choices I may have made along the way to like, yeah. to, to do that. And I think that what I love about a lot, and we're going to go through some of these, um, some of these points as through the book, some of the, uh, like the idea of. Let's get into some of these now because I know yeah. we don't yeah, have. Let's... I want to get into it because I think that there's a lot. There's so many in here that you can go through, and the ones that I think will apply mostly to what I've seen, and with with the people that listen to this podcast, I think these ones are are going to be relatable, especially what I've talked about in the past, like the idea of groundhogging it. Yeah, <laughs> the idea of using. <laughs> so I start my new year. I start my year not on New Year's Day, and then in, on February second, which is Groundhog Day. I do like my mid-year review. So I start my year in September September 1st because that's when my kids start school. So cool. I kind of, yeah. and then February 2nd is around the mid-year mark. So I look at it and go, okay, do I need to make any changes? Do I want the rest of this year to look like the rest, the, the early part of this sure. year, et cetera? Yeah. So can you talk about groundhogging? Because there's a very similar tack to this. <laughs> yeah, so for, for just a, a bit of perspective, um, we talk about, um, this idea of, of groundhogging it 
in the context of setting a daily highlight. Right. So um, each day sort of asking yourself, what's the one thing that deserves my best energy and my best focus today? You know, not the only thing that you're going to do, certainly, and, and, and not even necessarily like the thing that needs to get done. But like if I can only pay attention to one thing today, um, what do I want that to be? It might be something that that has to happen. It might be something that you want to happen. It might be something that's just fun. And and this tactic of of groundhogging it really um, sort of is about doubling down and tripling down on that highlight and saying, okay, well, if there's something that I really need to make progress on, um, I'm not just going to do it one day. I'm not just going to, going to make it my highlight for one day, but I'm going to make that my highlight every single day this week. And I am going to, um, I'm just going to get deep into this thing and I'm going to sort of benefit from having all the information about it kind of loaded up in my mental Ram. And, um, and I'm just going to, going to go deep on making progress on that one thing. Um, and so that's, that's the, the idea of, uh, of groundhogging. I've been talking with John about making time. And for those of you who've been following my work for a while, you know that I'm all about crafting your time. And I wanted to share something with you that I don't share very often on this episode, but you might see it in the show notes if you're a subscriber. And that's my 30 days of time crafting course. In fact, it's backed by the $5 guarantee. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's this movie which was a novel first called the legend of bagger vance and there's a huge story behind it but ultimately the character played by will smith helped the character played by matt damon for just five dollars he helped him find his swing he helped him get on track and that's what 30 days of time crafting can do for you it's a 30-day email program that also includes other valuable resources that you can use time and time again you get access forever and ever when you sign up for just $5. So if you're interested in taking my fundamental and foundational 30 days of time crafting course, all you need to do is go to productivityist.com slash $5. That's the word five spelled out, then dollars. Really, it's $5 guaranteed. It's going to help you craft your time better and make more time in the process. So what are you waiting for? Visit productivityist.com slash $5 today. Now let's get back to my conversation with John Saratsky here on the Productivityist podcast. Again, the highlighting portion is you talk about, you know, obviously there's there's a good 16 tactics in the highlighting area, which is really great. But one of the things I, I want to touch on is journaling real quick. Do you journal? Well, I, the answer is sort of, <laughs> so, um, I, uh, so the, the fourth step in the make time framework yep. is reflect. Yep. And, um, we think that if you, we think that, that most people ought to have a, a structured way of paying attention to what they're doing with their time and what they're paying attention to. And it's, um, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people are used to being analytical and critical about their work, you know, and what happens in the office. People are used to doing postmortems and retrospectives and all those things and saying, Hey, well, you know, what happened with this project? Did it fail? Did it succeed? You know, who's at fault here? What happened? But when it comes to our own time, you know, this finite precious resource that we have, we don't often look back and say, what did I really do today? What did I really spend my time on? And so we encourage people to take just a couple of minutes and, and answer some, some questions in this template that we provide in the book to help you reflect on what's working so that you can make tweaks and hopefully make tomorrow a little bit better. And so I do that every day, but I wouldn't really consider it 
a journal because it's it's really more of a templatized, you know, it's like it's almost like a survey. It's like a yeah. it's like you're running a little experiment, um, but you're the only participant. You know, it's like um, it's like a, a, a clinical trial with with a with with an N of one. Um, and so you're sort of answering these questions. But the the extended part of the answer is that my wife and I have recently started writing a short shared journal together. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm dipping a toe into the journaling waters. Um, and that's been, that's been really fun, but, um, but generally I have found it very difficult to form a habit around journaling. I think in part because I don't see the, um, I, I generally don't see the short-term benefits to doing it. So, so I don't have that, that reward, you know, to kind right. of keep that habit loop, uh, going. Um, whereas with the, the reflect, the the notes that we encourage people to to do as part of make time there is a short-term benefit of of making tweaks to the tactics you're going to use and and hopefully um being able to spend your time on the things you care about a, a little bit more tomorrow than you did today interesting because when i read that part of the book i'm like oh he journals because that to me is journaling like i mean i know it's yeah, a survey yeah. i know it's 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 interesting that words matter and distinction because yeah. because i mean i think that um you know, the, we talked about like simple versus ease, right? And simple versus easy, which by the way, ease and easy are also different. But I, I think the idea of, um, cause it's a survey, technically you're doing a scientific study on yourself or a, or a, or a, or a, uh, uh it's the story of your day. Right. Yeah. Um, right. and that's, that is, I mean, again, if you look at the definition of journaling, a journal is a sort of story, right? It's a, sure. it's a chronicle. Um, so, so what's interesting is that, um, I think that, whatever it takes for that reflection to happen and whatever that yep. needs to be, I think is, so if, if you're, as someone who's listening to this, if you're like, oh, no, I like the idea of reflection. Um, it's way better than journaling. Um, that's great because you're yeah. still doing that and it's highly undervalued and underutilized to do that, to take that. We often are so focused on moving forward that we don't take yeah. a chance to reflect and go, okay, are we moving in the right direction? Like, is it, yeah. was it worth it? Um, Time craters. This is in the laser section, which we'll talk about the idea of focusing. And what is the time crater that you still struggle with? I want people to read the book and, and, and well, you know, def maybe you can define what a time crater is first just to, to give some context. But what's the one that you still find yourself as you reflect on a day? Going, oh, man, that time crater got me again. Yeah. So a time crater is anything that you choose to do where the sort of initial action or the initial choice is quite small, but then it ends up having this, this much bigger kind of outsized effect on your time or your attention or your energy levels. And so, um, the, the one for me that I probably continue to struggle with the most is, is LinkedIn actually. Um, it used to be Twitter. And, and as I've kind of shifted my focus more toward LinkedIn, I find that, um, you know, what, what begins in my mind as a very simple, um, idea, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to post this thing on LinkedIn. Really? You know, I've got this video from a talk that I gave, I'm going to post it. It's going to take me 10 minutes. It's going to be great. You know, people are going to find it. They're going to see it. Then they're going to want to contact me. It's going to be wonderful. I find that what happens is instead of 10 minutes, actually getting that post ready and that video ready, it takes, takes half an hour or, or an hour. And then, um, and then I don't just post it and then forget about it, you know, and then I, because a couple hours later, I'm like, Oh, I wonder if anybody responded. Like, I wonder what are the reactions to this? Is anybody posting any interesting comments? Did anybody reshared? And so I find myself being drawn back into LinkedIn again and again. Um, 
So, so that's one, you know, it doesn't have a huge effect on my life. And, um, and, you know, through a lot of the tactics that we share in the book and a lot of things that you and I have already talked about, I have ways of kind of limiting my access to LinkedIn so that it doesn't take over my day. Um, but that's just one example. And, you know, so if I think about all the other things that do or could, uh, be time creators in my life. Um, you can you could pretty quickly start to see how um, how a, a relatively small number of small decisions or actions could actually end up taking a huge amount of of your energy and time throughout the day. Yeah, for me that was uh, auditing one password yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know I think email is another um, yeah. a, a sort of a time creator because. You know, you think, um, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to just do a quick check of email. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I've got 15 minutes before my next meeting. I'm going to just jump in there and respond to a couple messages. Um, but, you know, even if you, even if you do have a hard stop and you say, well, I, I'm going to close email now because I've got a meeting, there's this attention residue that mm -hmm. builds up. And, and I learned about that concept from, from Cal Newport. Yep. Um, but it's a, it's a sort of a, a relatively well, well understood concept in, um, cognitive research that when we pay attention to something, but we don't sort of close the loop, we don't finish whatever that thing was, it kind of hangs around in our brains for a while. And so if you're constantly exposing yourself to these quick little email checks, you know, each one of those things, each one of those, those sessions is pretty small, but the crater, the impact that it, that it has on your time and your attention throughout the day is pretty massive. And that's why, like, if you, if you can go into email with some kind of filtration in place, like knowing, okay, I'm going to go check this area as opposed to just the giant overwhelming monolithic inbox that can be helpful. But yeah, I mean, attention residue is, I mean, David Allen talks about that in closing loops and getting things done. Right. Um, yep. Last last question about the, the about the different areas. The one, one I want to focus on now is the Energize. Um, I first read about the the caffeine nap and uh, from Austin Cleon. I'll link to it in the show notes about the idea of taking a nap, the idea of a, of a caffeine nap that he yeah. brought up. Um, can you talk about that? Do you still do you? I mean, as somebody who um, I'm not going to say what you are because then it'll give away. You have to go back and look whether whether you're a morning <laughs> or night person. But is our caffeine nap something that you utilize and and uh, is it something you experiment with or is it is it more something that you've discovered? And say, hey, this is a good uh, you know tactic to try, uh, especially when you're working at Google. Didn't they have the pods and stuff that you could go nap in if you really wanted to? <laughs> yeah. So I will I will admit I've never I've never taken a nap at the office. So I, in all those years I worked at Google and all those, those nap pods, um, I never actually took a nap at Google. Um, I would say that I take, I, well, okay, let me say this. I probably take a nap like every couple of weeks and, um, and pretty much all of those naps are caffeine naps. So right. basically if I'm going to take a nap, it's usually in the early afternoon. So it's usually like right after lunch when, you know, maybe I got up early and I'm tired, you know, maybe it's, you know, whatever, got to had a big lunch, a heavy lunch. Um, maybe I've got something later in the day I want to have good energy for. I'll, I'll take a nap. It'll be right after lunch. But I pretty much always pair it with caffeine, meaning that I will drink um, some coffee or some, some tea uh, right before I go to sleep. And then um, I know that it's going to take a while for that caffeine to circulate through my bloodstream and reach my brain. Um, 
And I know that it's um, that when I wake up, I'm going to feel amazing because um, I will have cleared away the adenosine that was causing to me be gro groggy. And then at the same time, um, that caffeine is going to sort of bind and kick in. Um, so not only will I be be rested from that nap, but I'll have the additional energy boost of, of caffeine. So yeah, that is that is definitely something I still use. And in fact, I would say that I use, I probably use all of the tactics in the book to some extent. And there's a, there's a bunch of them. There's 87 right. yeah. and there's a bunch of tactics that are not in the book. We have, um, depending on how you count at any given point in time, probably 15 to 20 bonus tactics that we, that we share in various places. Um, and you know, it's not like I do all of them all the time, but, but we didn't really put anything in the book that was like, Oh, that's interesting. You might give it a shot. You know, we, we wanted to have like a slightly higher bar of, of like, yeah, we've tried this and it works for us and it works for other people. And the, the science is there and the research is there. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I pretty much do, do all this stuff, uh, from, from time to time. Last question before we wrap up, uh, because I can go back in the days of the early days of the apps. What's the first productivity to-do list app that you used? Gosh, that's a great question. Because um, I don't normally ask about apps because they're, I mean, again, there's a time, but since we're going back into the, the, the way back machine, probably an app that doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Um, is there, is there one that you remember? Oh, like, oh man. Oh, you know, I've got, I'll, I'll tell you two sure. interesting stories about this. Sure. Um, one is that there was an app, um, and I actually wrote about it in the book, but I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Oh, Mori, um, which was an app <laughs> created by, um, all right. Do you know this? I, rem you know I, I remember I, I it, it's it's sparking something in me. So it must be that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember hearing about it. I remember. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And it was this amazing app that was sort of this. It's actually kind of being reincarnated with like Notion and Coda now. But it was this um, sort of like infinitely extensible and customizable note taking app. Right. And uh, and I, I, I went through this period where I got like so obsessed with using it that I. I basically spent like weeks getting my whole life in it. <laughs> it was like notational um, velocity and stuff before it actually like, I think there was a lot of like, is uh, what was the simple note and all those ones, they were kind of like this where you, yes. could, you could modify oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Those ones. Yeah. That's right. I also used simple note for, for a time, but, but then um, uh, of course, a couple of years later, like the app was no longer supported. Yeah. It was like yep. being discontinued. And there was no mobile and there were no mobile versions either. So it's like, you're on no, your, this was yep. before, I believe this was before the iPhone. Yep. Um, came out. So that, so that was one, but then the other interesting anecdote, um, at least I think it's interesting is that I actually designed and built my own custom to-do list app, um, with a friend of mine. One of my best friends is a software developer and, uh, we built an app called Dunzo. Um, oh, in like, I remember it. D is it, was it D U N Z? -O? No, it wasn't. No, it was, it was it, one of the many problems with it was the brand. It was, it was spelled D O N E Z O. So everybody okay. thought it was Donizo. But, um, but it was, uh, we, we started, started as a web app uh -huh. and it was a very GTD, uh, influence, you know, with, um, well, anyway, just the, the sort of the structure of the, of the list was very much GTD influenced. Right. And then we actually, our, our iPhone app for Dunzo was one of the very first iPhone apps that would sync over the air. So over the cellular network between your phone and your computer because um it was it was a web app and then it was um the the app itself the app on the phone would sync over the cellular network in like a really lightweight way and these things would stay 
connected and you didn't have to plug into your phone or be on Wi-Fi and do like click a button to, well, yeah. to sync. So that was kind of That's cool. how SimpleNote did it with Symperium, I think. It was like it was a connective. Yeah. Yeah, there was one of those. I was I was thinking you might have gone Kinkless GTD or IGTD. No. Cause no. Because Kinkless was the one Merlin kept touting back in the day. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think I used either of those. And then I mean, IG, I, I, IGTD went on to be acquired by uh, Cultured Code. And, I and, feel like all these apps I like open like I installed and opened like thinking like, like thinking rock and all those ones and I mean Matt Diavella still uses to do like T E U X D E U X which is still oh, around yeah. yeah but in Swiss message um what's uh, who's Swiss Miss again Tina Roth Eisenberg yes. um, yeah um it, it, it's one of those things where those apps have been around forever and and remember when mobile apps didn't people weren't as hung up on mobile components of it it was just like Hey, I'm going on my desktop. I'm going to use these apps, and that's where like those apps right. kind of live. That's where this kind of work happens. Yep, yep. So anyway, I wanted to. I don't normally talk about apps on the show, but I figured <laughs> you had some rich history with it. Hey, uh, John, this has been great. Uh, thanks for sticking around a little bit longer. We could we yeah, could have kept thanks. going for sure. No kidding. It's, it's yeah. make time. How to focus on what matters every day by Jake Knapp and John Zaraski. John, where can people pick up the book and keep up with your work? As I will be doing, uh, and I have done, but I'll be doing it even more so now that we've had a chance to really dig into the the geekdom of time management productivity. <laughs> yeah, well, the book is everywhere. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, your local library even. Um, but best place to, to kind of dig deep and, and get started with this stuff is maketime.blog. That's our website. That's where we've got articles, resources, tools, um, training, our online courses there, a bunch of stuff. So maketime.blog. John, thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivityist Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Mike.